So last week uh, we talked about um, our real problem being pride, and we saw how this came up with the disciples when they were arguing with one another over who was going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom. And, uh, and so uh, we saw that the, the way that we need to deal with that problem of pride um, is that we need to come to Christ um, and humbly uh, humble ourselves before him and the gospel um, of who he is. Well, this week, um, we, the, the passage goes on, and we kind of see that this issue of p- pride starting to be applied to their ministry as a whole. So it's not just the individuals, um, where the individual disciples were having a problem with pride, uh, but their group as a whole uh, kind of are having to deal with this issue of pride. And this is something that, as a church, uh, we can run into as well. Um, we can run into uh, pride as a church that um, we've got it all figured out. Um, we do it the right way. Um, we have uh, the right theology or we have the, the right practice or, uh, or whatever. Um, and if anyone is not with our group, if they're at another church, well, then obviously they're wrong and we're right. Um, and that, this is a, a common problem uh, for Christians and churches uh, to run into. And so we're going to kind of be looking at this um, today. Uh, one of the common conversations that comes up when we have uh, people from the States in um, with our uh, Canadians uh, is uh, uh, what you call grades in school. Okay? Um, so here uh, they refer to grade 1 through grade 12. Um, and you guys would say first grade, second grade, third grade. Um, but then on top of that, in the States, uh, they use the terminology uh, freshman, uh, sophomore, junior, senior. Uh, here, that makes no sense. They don't, it's like, what is that even talking about? Uh, well, freshman refers to the n- grade 9, uh, sophomore is grade 10, junior is uh, grade 11, and senior is grade 12. And then they repeat those terms in university for first year, second year, third year, and fourth year of university, okay? So freshman is your first year in the school, whether that's high school or, which they do, grade nine goes to high school um, in the States. Um, And so, so yeah, so freshman refers to those first year. um, Sophomore refers to second year. Uh, When you look at the history of those words and where they come from, uh, it's pretty interesting. Freshman, junior, and senior are pretty straightforward on where uh, they come from, but sophomore is actually an insult. Um, uh, The word sophomore comes from the Greek, um, and it means uh, wise idiot um, is what the word means. Uh, So sopho means wise, and moros uh, means uh, fool or something like that. So uh, for someone to be called a sophomore basically means they're a wise fool. Um, so why do they use that for in the education system for the second year? Well, these are the, you know, especially in university, uh, these are the people that they have one year of training under, under their wing and they think they know everything. Um, and so they want to argue about everything and they've got it all figured out right? And they're 100% right, and you just need to listen to them. Um, And they are wise fools. Um, So if we have any sophomores here, uh, apologies, but you're a wise fool. Uh, That's what the word means. So, uh, but we can, uh, I I tell you that to say that we can be sophomores 
when it comes to our theology um, and our practice of Christianity. Uh, We can grow, uh, which hopefully we're all growing, uh, but we grow to where we become wise, but we don't know what to do with that wisdom yet, and we become wise fools uh, that want to argue and just debate. Um, There are times in my life where, you know, I was 100% right on everything, and you just had to ask me, and I would tell you um, about how right I was. Um, and I would debate anybody about anything, especially like when I was in university, like me and my roommates, we would just like debate about all kinds of stuff. Um, and even if they convinced me I was wrong, I would never admit it. Right. So I just keep arguing the point and just annoy people or whatever, um, which is fun for a while. But then you realize that that actually can be pretty hurtful, um, and can work against what you actually are wanting um, to accomplish. And so today, in, in our passage for today, we're in Luke chapter 9. Um, I'll be starting in verse 49. Uh, we're only going to cover two, two verses today. Uh, but we get to see an instance where John, uh, the disciple John, actually has kind of a sophomore moment. Um, and uh, it's kind of unique because it's John, because who's the one we usually see sticking his foot in his mouth? It's usually Peter, right? Um, But here John is actually recorded uh, as being the one that asked this. So let's read our passage, uh, Luke 9, uh, starting in verse 49. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. And so Jesus here tells John, hey, yeah, you tried to stop that guy, but you shouldn't have. Um, And so we have to start thinking through, well, why did John want to stop the guy? Well, because obviously the guy wasn't a part of their group. So he's, you know, the group pride. He's saying, hey, he's not a part of our group. He doesn't need to be doing things in Jesus' name because we don't know if he's going to do it right. Right? Like he could be doing things wrong in Jesus' name, and, and we need, we've got it figured out. We've got it right. He obviously doesn't. We need to stop this guy. And Jesus tells him, no. Um, in fact, if, if he's doing things in my name, uh, then he's for us, not against us. Um, you need to work alongside that person, uh, not to discourage that person. And, uh, and John uh, later wrote, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote in 1 John, Uh, He said this in 1 John 5, uh, 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. So John obviously learned the lesson. Um, He grew on to maturity. Um, He grew past his sophomore moment here. He learned what Jesus was instructing him. And that's what we all need to learn as well, is the truth of the fact that uh, even though we might disagree on some things, uh, we need to be able to get along with our fellow believers, even if they see things maybe a little different than we do. And so, uh, so that's kind of what, uh, what John is learning here. But there's another passage that comes to mind when we see Jesus' wording here. Jesus says here, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So the one who is not against you is for you. But in Matthew twelve thirty, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me, 
and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Um, so is Jesus like talking out of both sides of his mouth here, like what's going on here? And we know that to understand um, things like this, what we need to do is we need to look at the context. Uh, what is the context of these two, two different sayings? Uh, and so we see here in Luke, the context is there's a guy um, who is doing good work in Jesus' name, bringing glory and honor to Jesus, is the context in Luke where Jesus says, for the one who is not against you is for you. Uh, in the passage in Matthew, the context there, uh, Jesus is talking about uh, the, the enemy, uh, Satan, and those who are on his side and how they are against Jesus. Um, and so uh, there you see the context is those who are working against the gospel. Not just that they're not as part of the same group or whatever, but they are working against the gospel and against Jesus. They are literally against him. Um, and so that's where we can, we can see Jesus saying these two different statements. Um, and so that tells us that since Jesus is saying the two different things, we need to be thinking two different ways when we engage people that maybe disagree with us. Okay? Or maybe are of a different group from, from us or something like that. Okay, so, and what, what it really boils down to is, um, does the disagreement, does the conflict, is it, is it over the gospel? Is the conflict over the gospel? Um, because you see, we really do have an enemy um, who's out there, who's opposed to us, um, who doesn't want to see the gospel advance, who doesn't want to see the kingdom of Christ uh, prevail. He works against us. Um, and he even works through uh, some things that are called ministries uh, to uh, take away from the gospel and to, to degrade Jesus, to bring him down. And so uh, we need to stand up and we need to fight against these things. We need to be ready to argue at times over, over those issues um, because there are those out here, there who are against us. Um, and we need to be ready and give a defense for the hope that is found within us. Uh, so we need to be ready to do that. Um, but at the same time, there are those that maybe on those essential things, the essential things of the gospel, we agree and we say the same things. Uh, but then on non-essential things, uh, on how that works out, either in church practice or, or whatever, um, we need to agree to disagree. Um, that we just need to uh, say we can still um, get along with one another. Uh, you know, this is what we as, as our church, as our group, this is where we see the scripture and this is what we see is true. And so that's what we're going to practice. But we understand that you see things differently. And so if you and your church uh, want to practice that, then, then that's okay too. Um, and so we need to be able to agree to disagree um, on some things. Uh, so how do we figure out what those things are? Um, let's think about first the example of Jesus. Um, who do we see Jesus arguing with? Who does he get angry with? Who does he, yeah, the Pharisees, right? Um, so the, the religious people of his day, uh, the ones who said they had it all together. Um, and so uh, he gets really upset with them. Um, why? Because they are telling people that, hey, these sets of rules and regulations that we have set up are the way to get made right with God. Um, and so they are leading people away from the gospel, leading people away from him. 
Who do the Pharisees think that he should be angry with that he's not? Sinners. People who are messed up. People who are not keeping all the rules. Um, And Jesus lovingly accepts them. um, But he doesn't just lovingly accept them to remain in their sin. He calls them to repentance and away from that, from that life, right? Um, he says that, you know, it's not the, the, the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And so he came to heal them, um, to heal those of us who are sinners, who need a Savior. Um, and so he does that in a loving and gracious way, bringing us um, to himself. And so we see kind of the differences, the conflict over the gospel. Um, the sinners who he gets along with, hear about him and want to be with him, and they're coming to him. They're coming to the gospel. They're coming to the good news. And so that's, there's, there's no reason for fights there. However, those who are self-righteous and have their own set of rules and are leading people away from, the, from him and the gospel, that's where he has the conflict with them. Okay, another one let's think about. Let's think about the Apostle Paul. Um, so Apostle Paul uh, gave us a lot about how the church should function, um, and uh, he really uh, did a lot for nailing down what the Christian life looks like uh, after Jesus' resurrection and once we have the Holy Spirit, and what, is, what does that look like? Uh, well, who did the Apostle Paul argue with? Uh, one that comes to mind is in the book of Galatians. Um, like, we have his arguments written down, you know, like... He, like word for word, here's, here's my argument uh, with these people. Um, and so in Galatians, he's dealing with people that came into uh, Galatia after him. And after he had preached the gospel there and he had led people to Christ and the church was, was growing and it was doing well, uh, these people, after he left, they came in and they said, yeah, what Paul said was all right, it's all right, but you also need to keep all of these rules um, that we have from the Judaism, from this Old Testament stuff, same Pharisaical rules that Jesus would get angry over. Um, and so... Uh, one of the main things for that rule system, their symbol of that rule system, uh, was circumcision. And so they came in saying that, hey, everybody needs to be circumcised, and they need to follow these rules um, along with that. Uh, well, Paul is so upset over this, uh, our English translations try to make this a little more... Uh, a little easier to stomach than what Paul says in the Greek. Um, Paul literally says in the Greek that I wish they would go the whole way and cut the whole thing off. Um, and so that's, that's pretty animated. Like he's, he's pretty upset uh, with these guys coming in. Why? Because they are distorting the gospel. They are taking away from the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Another place where Paul gets very upset is in Corinthians, uh, where he's dealing uh, with an issue there in the church in Corinth, uh, where there is a man um, who is having sexual relations uh, with his mother-in-law. And uh, the church is saying, we are so loving and so accepting that we just love them and we accept them. Um, And Paul is very upset over this. Um, Why? He's upset because this is putting uh, a very bad putting out a very bad demonstration for the church of of who the church represents being Jesus. 
Um, and he's telling them, like, this is a horrible thing. You're saying this is so good that you're so loving, but what you're doing is you're smearing the name of Jesus by letting this go on, letting this sin, this public sin, just continue um, and saying that it's all okay and that they're a part of the church. Um, in fact, what you need to do, the most loving thing to do for these individuals is to put them out of the church and not give them the assurance of salvation that is found for those of us who are in Christ. We don't. It's not loving for us to see... Um, continued unrepentant sin in their life and not warn them that, hey, we don't think you're okay with God because what we're seeing happening in your life is so distorted, it's so messed up. And so Paul gets very animated about this one as well. He's very argumentative about that. And so, so is, is Paul just a fighter? Um, does he just want us to go around arguing and fighting all the time? Uh, well, he actually wrote uh, Romans 12, um, and at verse 18, he says this. Um, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And so he wants us to, and that's not just saying with Christians. He's saying, So far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Like, we don't. We, we have enough problems that are legit problems that we do have to argue about or we do have to take a stand on that we don't need to go finding other ones to get upset about. We don't need to go making trouble for ourselves. Um, and so, as I've said, my personal inclination in my life has been to fall more into the argument side um, and debating and trying to win the argument um, over even the smallest of issues. Um, others of us are more drawn uh, to the peace side, um, and we don't want to uh, argue at any cost, and the last thing we want to do is to possibly offend or upset anyone else, and so at all costs we want to be at peace with others. So for some of us it's easier to follow uh, Romans 12, um, or uh, the passage we're looking at here in Luke. Um, for others of us, we're more drawn to the Matthew passage, um, and for those who are against us and setting that straight, uh, which where we really need to be is in a healthy middle, in a mature place of being able to recognize the need for both and the timing for both and being wise about when we go into both. Um, one way of saying it would be that maybe um, the uh, not uh, wanting to debate at all side might be more the freshman approach um, of uh, we just want everybody to get along, everybody's welcome, like we, whatever, whatever you believe is fine for you, like, you know, whatever. Um, and then the, the wise fool approach is the one who wants to argue um, over everything. Um, and so we need to grow up to maturity kind of past both of those to where we know how um, to engage these things and how to speak the truth in love as we're instructed to do in Scripture. Uh, the president of the seminary uh, where I went, a guy named Al Moeller, um, he is a very intelligent guy, uh, probably one of the best debaters out there um, when it comes to Christianity versus other religions or, or anything like that. Like, just, uh, just an incredible mind. He has 
uh, a huge library at his house and one of the urban legends around our seminary, which I've been confirmed is true, is that as his son was growing up, his son would go into his library and would uh, point to a book and say, and when I say library, it's like this room full of books, like wall to wall, as many books as you could fit pretty much. Um, His son would point to a book, say a page number, and his dad would quote to him what's on that page, right? Like that's the brain that this guy has. Like he's, he's, Photographic memory can recall um, anything. Uh, one time, uh, you know, I've, I've seen him in articles debating before with like Mormons and that kind of thing. And um, he knows their text better than they do kind of thing where he can, well, actually, here's what yours says and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, but he's, he's really good at doing, doing the, handling that tactfully and being very wise about it and not just seeking to win the argument, um, but to do so. And out of love and out of care for that individual, right? This is like, why, why would we want to engage uh, someone that has a different belief system uh, than us? Because we believe ours is true, and we want them to see the truth out of love for that person. Uh, we don't accomplish that by belittling them and just arguing with them, right? Um, and so back in uh, 2005, uh, he wrote an article that really has kind of been become kind of a benchmark uh, for this topic. Um, and it's called uh, Theological Triage. And he took the principle uh, that we apply at the emergency room, and he, he applied it to our theological debates um, and how uh, we engage people that maybe we disagree with. Um, and so uh, how triage works in the emergency room is that that first person that you get to, um, over the last year, Brittany and I have had a lot of experience getting to go to the emergency room between the two of us. Um, but when you go in, the first person there that you, you talk to starts in the triage process or process, if you're Derek. So, um, and so they start this process um, where what they're doing is they're assessing um, how serious is your condition. So, like, if you come in and they think that you're having a heart attack, um, you get immediately rushed back, immediate attention that's life-threatening, you need to be seen right now. Um, when I come in with torn ligaments in my knee, they say, okay, you go over here, and once the doctors are done dealing with a person with a heart attack, then we're going to have time for you and we're going to get to you, all right? And all of us, like, hate, no, like, nobody likes waiting a long time in the ER, Right? But we all get that. We get the priority system and that if someone is in a life-threatening situation, they need to have priority over someone who's not in a life-threatening situation, right? And so, uh, so he, he was in a, uh, a hospital setting, and he saw this happening, and it kind of clicked for him. He's like, this is what we need to learn to do with our theological debates. We need to be able to prioritize how serious is this issue. Um, and so uh, he, is, he put out kind of three levels um, of triage uh, that we should engage in. The first level of theological triage is um, the things that are uh, issues that are essential to biblical Christianity and salvation. So these are the things um, that we see Jesus getting upset over, script, over in, in Scripture. These are the things we see Paul getting upset over in Scripture. These are things that through the history of Christianity, um, the church has said this is essential uh, for Christianity. Um, so these are things that we would completely disagree over and we would defend. These are hills that you would fight over. Um, these are hills you would die on. Um, this is stuff like uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. 
um, the, also the full humanity of Jesus Christ. The fact that that fully God, fully human individual came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, paying the punishment for sin, was buried, proving he was dead, rose from the dead, proving that he defeated sin and death, uh, and he ascended into heaven where he's preparing a place for those of us who are his, those of us who come to him and call him our Lord and Savior, and we are saved by his grace, by his blood alone. Those are hill, that's a hill we'll die on, right? And many Christians have died on that hill. Uh, Derek is very faithful in reminding us to pray for the persecuted church. Just saying what I just said in a lot of places could lead to death. That's a true reality. And as Christians, we should expect that if we stand firm on that, that we will have opposition because the enemy does not like that truth and he does not want that truth to advance. And so we should expect that to come and we should be ready to fight for that and fight over that and stand on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But then there are those of us who believe that and we can agree on that, but then maybe we disagree on some other issues. Um, Take, for instance, uh, baptism. Like as a church, uh, what we see in Scripture uh, is uh, that baptism is for believers. Um, it's for those, and the, the, the mode, um, the practice that is done in Scripture is that uh, they are submerged um, in water, um, symbolizing our uh, death to sin, burial with Christ, and then our resurrection as we come back up out of the water, um, that we're raised to live a new life in Him. And so that's what we believe, but there are other churches out there um, that would agree on those essentials of the gospel, but they disagree with us on this issue. Um, So how do we approach that? Well, um, we approach that by saying, if someone uh, comes and that is a major issue for them, uh, we would encourage them to, hey, maybe here's another church that you should, should look at. You know, if, if this is how you see this issue, um, that's not how we see this issue. So if, if you uh, think that it should be practiced a different way, for instance, uh, infant baptism or something like that, sprinkling, whatever, uh, maybe another church is a better place for you. Um, it's not that uh, we don't want you here. Uh, we'd love for you to come to understand the truth as we know it. Um, but if, that, if that's a major issue for you, then maybe somewhere else is better for you. Um, and so we can lovingly agree to disagree on this issue, um, but typically not in the same congregation. Um, because as a congregation, we're going to practice one thing. Um, but uh, it might be uh, hard for someone that doesn't agree with our practice on that thing if they disagree on it. And so maybe another body of believers that agrees with them is a better place for them. Um, and so that's the second level. So first level, we completely divide over, we'll argue over. Second level, we respectfully, um, divide over that if, hey, that's why we have different churches, different denominations, because different groups see things differently. Um, and so we respect that, and we respect their place for that. Uh, but then the third level are on the really non-essential issues, um, and these are Christians in the same fellowship can just agree to disagree on. Um, uh, one that I would put in this category uh, would be like uh, our views of the end times. 
Um, so different Christians have different views on exactly how everything is going to work out when Jesus comes back. Um, what we need to agree on is the fact that Jesus is coming back. Um, that's an essential. Uh, but a non-essential is the timeline on how that's going to happen and how all of the events are going to fall into place. Um, we might have different, agree- different opinions on that, and that's not a problem. Okay? And so, uh, so I think what Moeller has put forward really is a helpful way to kind of think about it. And you, um, as, a, as a believer, uh, you need to think through, okay, what are the first level issues? What are the, the essentials? What are the things that we have to agree on? That, it, you know, that this is what's necessary for salvation. Um, those are the things that are first level most important. But then there's those other things that are the second level where this is important to us. Our church practices it this way. If you want to come and be a part of our church, you should probably recognize that, hey, this is the way that it's practiced there. Um, and I can, I can submit to that. I can be, I can be cool with that. Um, or if you think it's something else should be practiced, maybe another church is, a, is the place for you. Um, and then uh, there's the third level. What are the things in the third level for you that you say, you know what, it doesn't matter if we agree on this or not. Um, when we get to heaven, we'll find out who's right, and, uh, and you know, Jesus will, will set us all straight then. Uh, but until then, like, let's just get along, and uh, let's, let's not be sophomores um, who want to argue um, over the smallest of details and, uh, and have to debate uh, with everyone over the most minute detail of each issue, right? And so... So yeah, so that is um, our message for today. I hope that is helpful um, to you guys in, uh, in how we uh, engage um, others, especially when we have disagreements. Um, you know, we need to be able to identify kind of what level of an issue is this and how divisive um, should this be um, for us. Um, does it divide us from being in the same fellowship, in the same church? Um, does it uh, divide us uh, from uh, even having uh, fellowship as Christians with one another if this person doesn't agree on one of the essentials of the gospel? You know, um, uh, where, where is it? And, uh, and I hope, hope that helps you. Um, his, his layout really helped me overcome uh, my time where I had to be right on everything um, and uh, where I could learn to um, agree to disagree uh, with some people, and we could still uh, work together to advance the kingdom. Um, and so, so yeah, let me pray for us. Um, we are about to have uh, communion uh, in a moment. So just as we pray, and then as Brittany leads us in a song, start uh, preparing your hearts uh, for that and think through, um, is there uh, any unrepentant sin in your life that you need to repent of? That's one of the things that communion is meant to do for us is to show us that. And so, um, so yeah, let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you uh, for today, and we thank you for your word, and I thank you that at times you tell us that uh, anyone who is not against us is for us, um, but then um, other times you say anyone who's not with us is against us. Uh, and Lord, I thank you that you give us the wisdom to understand uh, that difference and that you show us uh, the people that are serving you as well, people that are pointing uh, people to your gospel, to the truth um, of Jesus and what he's done for us. 
Lord, that gospel truth is, is the most important. And Lord, we just pray uh, that you will advance that gospel in this place. Let us not get bogged down with arguing over uh, silly stuff, over minute details. But let us focus on the truth and what you've called us to do in advancing that truth. And God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.